2: My name is Jeffrey Zakarian, and you're listening to Four Courses with Jeffrey Zakarian from iHeartRadio. In four courses, I'll be taking you along for the ride while I talk with the top talent of our time. In each conversation, I focus on four different areas from my guests' life and career. And during those four courses, I'm gonna dig deep and uncover new insights and inspirations that we can all use to fuel ourselves to push forward. My guests for this episode moved to Europe alone at the age of 15. She has recently launched a line of her own kitchen products, and for more than two decades, she starred in TV shows and films loved by millions. Without further delay, please enjoy my hilarious and warm conversation with actor, director, mother, and passionate home cook, Laura Prepon.
3: Hello. Hi, Hi. how How are are you? you?
2: I am great. Thank you for taking time. Are you in Brooklyn?
3: I am in Brooklyn. Wow. You have well, way too oh, many Laura? trees outside of your window to be in New York right now.
2: I know. Those are palm trees. I'm actually in St. Bart's. No, I'm kidding.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Where I wish you? I was in
2: St. Bart's. I'm in Florida.
3: Oh, okay. Yeah, because I'm like, that's way too sunny and way too many trees to be in New York.
2: For my first course with Laura Prepon, she tells me about her amazingly unique upbringing, from her mother's ambitious and obsessive culinary experiments to moving to Europe alone at the age of 15. It seems like your mom, from what I'm understanding, was completely addicted to mayhem. She was okay with that. Is that an accurate statement or was it just that she didn't really have any desire to like control it?
3: When people hear about how I was raised, they're just like, what? How did you turn out somewhat sane? But I loved it. I mean, my mom was this just eccentric uh, chef, honestly. So there were five of us, I was the youngest. And all she wanted to do was cook. That's all she did. She would, we lived in Jersey. My father was a surgeon and he was, you know, at the hospital all day. And my mother would go to the best restaurants in New York. She had her Zagat's Guide that was like dog ear Zagat's. She called it Oh my
2: God, that is so great.
3: She would like underline the restaurants that she wanted to go to. She would go to them. She would try the food. She would annoy the chefs. She would literally go back and annoy the chefs to tell them, like, imagine some woman from Jersey going in the back kitchen and try to figure out how you like made, you know, your fragois or whatever it was. And she would come home and perfect the recipes until the morning. So we never had bedtimes. We would go to sleep for school. She would wake us up around midnight. All five of us would pile into the kitchen and she would have this crazy spread in like, some, like all casserole dishes hold on, on hold hot on. trays. Hold on,
2: mid, at
3: midnight? Yes. So we would come <laughs> in to this epic feast, like literally every night. And then aside from the feast, she would have her culinary obsession, like Peking duck. Like she would make Peking duck. I would walk into the kitchen at two o'clock in the morning and she would have a duck on the counter with a bicycle pump, pumping air into the duck. She oh would, God. Jeffrey, it was, it was crazy. Like she would unravel a wire hanger, poke it through the duck's eyes, make a hook and hang it in the bedroom in her boudoir with a fan blowing on it. Like this, <laughs> in her, like I would go into her closet and there would be a duck.
2: You're rubbing your eyes going like what? Like you're in a horror film. What? what and you see like hanging animals and then you have to take a fork and knife and, you know, try to eat it one in the morning.
3: This is how I was raised, so I didn't know any different. Like My friends were not allowed to sleep at our house because they didn't trust our situation. (laughs) The only way I can describe her is like this culinary sorceress. Like she would just be in the kitchen creating some crazy dish. I remember when she was making um, homemade sushi and she would drive up to this Japanese supermarket an hour and a half away from our house And she would, like, push in with the sushi chefs and, like, pick out her toro. Like, she literally, and we would all pile in the car and go to this, like, Japanese fish market. Seeing all this as a child, it helped inform me in the kitchen. I mean, I I would just follow her around the kitchen watching her cook. I was obsessed with cooking. I loved being in the kitchen. But one thing I got to say is, like, as example, like, my family loves coming to our house for holidays because my mother would make the most fabulous food and insane, insane stuff. But I don't have a single memory of spending time with her at a single holiday because she was always in the kitchen cooking and making these extravagant meals, everything from scratch. That was like drilled into my head as a kid, like from scratch. But the thing is, is like what, if you can't even enjoy it and be present, I mean, you have three kids, you get it. Like you can't even be present to enjoy the holiday with your kids. It's kind of like What is the point? So I I very early on as a youngster was like, I so appreciate what she's doing. It's so inspiring and magical, but there's got to be a more practical way to do this. And that's really where my whole philosophy with food was born was by watching my mother, never having time with her and being like, there's got to be a way to have both. And that's when I really kind of honed in on like how I prepare my food in a specific way so I could be with my family, truthfully.
2: It's kind of incredible, and it's kind of fascinating you were the youngest, and you have such vivid memories did your do your siblings remember as kindly as you do, or did they think like ma, Ma's out to lunch? you're loving it, and she's like, you know, ma, what are you doing? Can you just wrap it up for tomorrow i'll have it I'll have it when I get home
3: out of five siblings, our personalities are very, very different. I think that I thrived in this freedom, and I think that some of my siblings needed more structure, so I, I think it just depends on the personality. You know, for me, there were times that were a little like, like, oh my God, like my hands and my head and my hands. Like, mommy, please. Like, I remember we had to do, I was in Spanish class and we had to do like a potluck. So okay. parents were bringing in like boxed paella mix, so like rice yeah. like whatever. Like your parents yeah. had to bring in a dish. And then my mom comes in with 25 individual handmade flans in little containers. And 25 times she flipped the flan custard out and let the sauce drip down the side And a hand. We were like 10. And all the parents were just like looking at my mother like beside themselves. And the kids didn't even know what to do with this like perfect flan. (laughs) Jeffrey, it was, so there's moments like that where I'm just like, oh my God, like this is why people don't sleep over our house. It's comical.
2: I mean, I would love to sleep over here as I was a kid. All that food. It's oh, I it was mean, just the Fantastic. Tim- the timing's off. Like Friday and Saturday, it's okay, right?
3: <laughs> <And> I, right, <laughs> exactly. Not in. on a, this was like a Monday, Tuesday.
2: So you were like sleep deprived on Monday and Tuesday walking into school because getting up and then going eating and going back to bed must have been like kind of traumatic.
3: Honestly, Jeffrey, I didn't know any different. I didn't. Yeah, it's did. just what we did. It's just what we did. And it was uh, you know, it, my mother just didn't uh conform which i really appreciated and i think that it's part of the reason why i ended up in this wonderful racket that i'm in because you know we grew up in a suburb outside in new jersey you know what i mean like <laughs> when i first got into acting and stuff i had never even considered it and because my mom was so you know just didn't conform to any status quo it was really inspiring as a kid you know and it it made me think i could really do anything i wanted even though there wasn't like a lot of like shepherding along, it was kind of just yeah. like, okay, go figure it out. But she let me go do it. You know what I mean?
2: I love the fact that your mom had the Zagat thing. That's a great, I mean, that's when Zagat was printed. We remember that, that the original bread guide was something you got in the mail every every oh, year. Oh, she was obsessed.
3: Deal. Dog-eared, you know, underlined, we were, I was highlighted. obsessed
2: too, you know? And it was everyone's Bible. And there were obsessive people that brought it to the restaurant. And we'd open it up and, and say, "I want the duckle orange that you had, that the the menu said you had." And many times it was outdated, and we didn't, you know, we don't have that anymore. They got angry at you. But the people that carried that book were the most interested in food of anybody that came in. They were real foodies, and they ate well and they drank well. So they were difficult sometimes, but we loved them. So <laughs> that was my mother. Mom, basically, what,
3: you're basically talking yeah, about my but
2: mom. You, yeah, but your mom's going in back and she's ordering foie gras so she's spending money, you know? She's spending real dollars at a restaurant. Did she, If she goes alone, did she go alone or with someone else, with a friend?
3: It would depend. Sometimes it was just by herself because it was what she liked to do, you know? Yeah. It was her, that was her passion. And then coming home and, and you know, sometimes I would go with her. There's times where she would take me out of school and I would go to like- How fun is that? When she was going to the Gotham Bar and Grill and she'd take me with her. Wow. And, Oh, it was incredible. And she was tasting it on a completely different level. But when we would come home and then she would make the recipe and it would be better. I mean, that's what was so crazy is she wanted to talk to the chef to find out what they were doing so that she could come home and see if she could make it better. Which is insane because, you know, it's like you guys work so hard to craft these incredible dishes. But that was her thing. Like she would go home, she would try to make it and try to improve upon it if she felt she could.
2: You mentioned, you know, at 15, you left and you started modeling and you went to Italy. So you you coming from a situation where you're basically have the run of the house, no rules, and then you went to Italy. And I would think as a normal person, that would be scary. But it, it, I, I don't presume that you were too scared. You just figured it out because you were always getting curveballs all the time. You just figure your curveballs out. And, you know, people like yourself get to read the situation really fast and adapt. How was that experience, being alone at 15?
3: As I said, like, I wanted to be a doctor like my dad. And when I said earlier that I'd never thought of acting, that's true. Like, I had never thought about it. My eldest sister was working as a managing fashion editor for a magazine in Manhattan. And she was like, why don't you, you know, Go into this agency and see about modeling. And I was like, "Why would I ever? Why, why would I ever want to do that? Like, I, and I had no desire to do it. And my mom loved the idea because my mom was very fabulous. Like, she went to sleep with her face on. <laughs> her hair and makeup was always perfectly done. She would literally go to sleep with her face on, and she would wear jewelry because she grew up extremely, extremely poor. My mom." wanted people to know that she had money. So she loved the idea of me going to this casting for modeling. She loved it. So I went in and I, and they ended up, you know, after a little bit of back and forth and they told me I had to like lose weight, whatever. And then once I did, they were like, we're going to send you to Milan. And for me, I saw it as an opportunity to, because even though I, uh, my mom was totally inspiring to me and and I, I knew that there was something that I needed to get away from. Like even as a youngster, I knew that I needed to go somewhere. <laughs> like I needed to get out. You know what I mean? So I took it mm-hmm. and I ran with it. And I, uh, my mom was like, okay, I was a freshman in high school and she was like, you're drop out of school. She drove me to the airport. I had the name of a man written on a scrap of paper that I was supposed to call when I got there. She had no idea where I was going or who I was going to meet.
2: Did you ever see the movie Taken? (laughs) (laughs) But this was in
3: 1995. I mean, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't, it was different back then.
2: She was like, great. I can get reservations in Rome and Milana's get (laughs) restaurants. I get more recipes. I can get some repertoire done while she's over there. But you went alone.
3: Yeah, no, I, she dropped me off at the airport. I was walking through, but Jeffrey, this is what's so crazy. Is like, now as a mother, I look back and I'm like, are you insane? I would yeah. never, I would never let my kid do that at 15. But then again, if she didn't, I wouldn't be where I am now. My life path wouldn't have taken that route.
2: I would bet you she knew you were gonna be okay. I would bet you they had that sense. You know, I know my daughter's gonna be good. This one can handle it.
3: You know, it's you interesting that you that. say that because as a parent now, you do kind of you sense that, right? Of so uh, whether that's what it was or she was just like have fun, like whatever. But I dropped out of school, moved to Milan. I lived there for about a year and a half. Oh wow! I jumped around like I would do some jobs. You know, like I was able to do like a little stint in Paris, a little stint in London. But it was crazy. Like even in London, I remember I found a place to live and all the women were always really nice to me and I was always the youngest. Like my nickname in Italy was Queen DiChi, which is 15. Like all the locals call me Queen DiChi because I was just this American girl by myself. Like I look back at it now, I'm just like, oh my God, I cannot believe how dangerous that actually is, you know? Because I'm like taking the metro and the bus and the tram and all this stuff by myself. But um, in London, I'm in this... This apartment that you can rent by the day or the week, and I realized after I'm there for like a week, I'm like, I'm like, I'm in like a brothel, like I'm staying in a brothel, and I didn't even, and everyone was like really nice, <laughs> I was, oh my but I God. would find of course this. Nice. It's insane. I was find myself in these situations, just like this is, and I remember my apartment in Milan was like so not great. And I would call my mom in the middle of the night because there were so many cockroaches. I was like, what do I do? Like, I'm scared. And she said, when you go to the bathroom, look away and turn the lights on. They don't like the light. But it's weird because like this, this whole experience, it's a big part of who I am. And, you know, in Milan is where I first started acting. Because I got this audition for an Uncle Ben's Rice commercial. And I ended up booking it. I didn't work much as a model, but I loved my experience over there. It was my first kind of real introduction with like food prep because I would go to the local market. I would get a bunch of food. I would come home and I would batch cook all my food and like reimagine it in a couple different ways. But um, I booked a Uncle Ben's Rice commercial. I did the job and I called my mom in Jersey. I'm like, I want to try this acting thing. And she said, Okay. So I went back, I came home, I dropped everything in Milan, I came home and she's like, so what do we have to do? I'm like, I have to learn how to act. So she literally, Jeffrey, she opened a yellow pages and we just pointed at a teacher in New York and I started taking lessons. And then within a year I booked that 70s show.
2: Wow. That's like a, that's like a wingman. Oh yeah. It's a mom and a wingman and like a shrink all at once.
6: LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com iHeart. That's LifeLock.com iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here.
4: Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together... It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200k for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does the hard parts for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billings, scheduling, and more with a home management team that provides support before, during, and after your stay so you can focus on the relaxing, hosting, and making memories with family and friends. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. With Picasso, you can stop saying someday and start building family traditions today in a vacation home you own and revisit time after time. Visit picasso.com today to see thousands of luxury vacation home listings. That's p-a-c-a-s-o dot
2: For our second course, Laura tells me about her drive to learn and master her craft of acting and directing. So in 19, before you were 19, you you're on the 70s show, huge hit. And then you decide to go to film school. You saw like, okay, I, I want to see how this works because I know I can do it better.
3: Yeah, I mean, not like my mom and the restaurant, like I can improve upon this, but, <laughs> but like-
2: That's kind of what I was getting at. No,
3: but I knew, you know what it was though? There was just something inside of me that when I first saw... First of all, our director on that seventy show, his name was David Trainer. He was phenomenal. He directed every single episode except for the pilot. So he directed like 199 episodes. Like he was our father mm-hmm. figure. He was wonderful. I learned so much from him about dealing with different personalities because we were all very young and we all had very different personalities. And he balanced all of our personalities in such a wonderful way that we never felt like, you know, not taken seriously. We never felt like invalidated for having an idea that Mm -hmm. was ridiculous. Like the way that he dealt with us as actors, I studied him because I couldn't believe how he... And a lot of it with directing, it's like, you deal with so many personalities on a daily basis. It's something that a lot of directors fail at, that they can't balance, you know, trying to work with these different kinds of people. And I always loved that part of the job. And David was just a a wonderful study with that. But I didn't have a GED because I didn't go to high school. So I tracked down this guy. I would not leave him alone. And he worked at a local film school close to where we filmed in um, Studio City. And I met with him and was like, will you please put me through your curriculum? I don't have a GED, but I want to be a director. And I wouldn't leave him alone. And after like three times, he's like, finally, fine, fine. I I will put you through my program. And I got all my film gear. I did all the same assignments. I basically, he saw how serious I was about it, that he literally would put me through the same thing that he put his college kids through during the day. And we would go, and I went to night school. Um, He ended up producing my first short film. He's no longer with us, but he was a wonderful teacher. And then from there, I just kind of, did boots on the ground experience with my own film gear. I directed a short film. I started doing this web series called neighbors that I was a one woman crew. Um, and then I just kept kind of honing it. And then I ended up directing multiple episodes of orange is the new black. So it's just been, um, it's been a process, but I, I love it. I absolutely love it.
2: So this is all happening as you're doing full scale productions, TV, full scale movies, girl, this is all happening. So you're, you're in and out of this world of directing and acting at the same time, never like letting on that you're trying to do anything to disrupt anything. You're just you're a worker. You're a worker. It's obvious. Like you're a you're an organized worker. You get shit done. But in the meantime, <laughs> oh, thank you. No, it's obvious. It's like, how do you decide what you're gonna do and what you're not gonna do? Do you have any like, like, oh yeah, I'm not doing XYZ? I, I would never do that. This is what I want to. How do you feel? How does that happen?
3: It's different for everybody, you know? But for me, because I booked that seventy show at such a young age, I was able to be in a position where I could choose things based on material. While I was on the 70s show, as we just talked about, I was hustling, trying to like, you know, I was doing film yeah, school at night. I sold my first show that I executive produced as when I was like 22 or 23. It was a poker show because I was obsessed with poker. But... It really is a material based, you know, as example, when Orange is the New Black came along, nobody knew what Netflix was. Mm -hmm. Um, House of Cards hadn't aired yet. They had one show called Lily Hammer, which no one, it wasn't in the zeitgeist. Like nobody knew what Netflix was. So when I got the pilot for Orange is the New Black, I read it and I knew immediately that it was special. And the role of Alex Voss was so Incredible. (laughs) You know, like the Genji Cohan who wrote it is just, she's a phenomenal writer. But when I read the pilot, it just stands out from everything else. And um, when you read these characters and how incredible the show was, and no one could ever expect it to become the rocket ship that it did, which was just a phenomenal experience. But that was one of those things in my gut, I'm like, I have to be a part of this. And then Alex is just, She's part of me. I just love her so much. And I ended up uh, getting it. And it was just an absolute dream come true. But that was one of those things. Netflix was not what it was. We Mm -hmm. came up, like House of Cards, you know, air, we aired right after them. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we helped kind of pave the way for what is now current, the way that people consume television. Like we were pioneers with that. And that's a wonderful thing to be a part of. When you look at where we've come in the last ten years, it's just it's insane. And we were a part of that. We didn't we used to, you know, back when you're like, Oh wait, I gotta wait for my episode to come out once a week, <laughs> like every new episode. And now I know it's just everything's at your fingertips. Being a part of that, like boots on the ground, was really, really a, a wonderful experience to be a part of.
2: Do you prefer directing or acting? I asked this question. I it's people ask me, so you like cooking or running restaurants? I'm like, I don't you know, it's one and the same, but sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not good, but what do you prefer if there is a preference?
3: I love directing. Like direct, the thing I love about directing is it's all encompassing. It's everything. When I'm directing, I think like an actor, but I'm also, you know, telling the story visually as well through the camera. So And you have to get all of these pieces moving together and it's extremely challenging and I love that. And I thrive on having to come up with those solutions and being able to tell this story while you're getting all of these departments to like think in line with what your vision is. It's phenomenal to have something in your head that then gets on the screen. You're just like, oh my God, it's like, it's wonderful. And acting is a piece of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So when I'm acting, I don't have to worry about all this other stuff. I can just focus on that craft. Directing, the the only way I can really explain it is it is all-encompassing and I and I kind of thrive in that kind of experience. Acting is just a very different, it's just a very different muscle. But what I will say is I've always appreciated good actors. But as a director, you live and die by how good your actors are. I mean, you really do. And as a director, working with great actors is just like on orange with these actresses that are just absolutely phenomenal. I was just like, I am so blessed to be able to direct these women right now and some men, but it was mostly women, you know, it was absolutely incredible. But as an actor, you don't have to worry about like you're making your day.
0: Yeah. You know what
3: I mean? Like you don't have to yeah, yeah. have a clock and a producer like breathing down yeah. your neck all day. Like, and making your day and like, there's a snowstorm. We lost a location. Like this actor sick. This person is, you know, whatever, fucking, a family yes. tragedy. Like it's yeah. all, it's so much to juggle. So as an actor, I can just show up and do my job and I'm like, you get to worry about everything else. <laughs> I get to just act. Now that I have two young children, like would I take a directing job right this second? It would have to check a lot of boxes for me. Yeah, because absolutely. Because you're gone before the sun comes up, you're home when the sun is down.
2: And you're thinking when you're laying down about what you missed. For our third course, Laura and I discussed something that we now have in common, selling cooking products on TV. Laura has teamed up with HSN to launch Prep on Kitchen, their exclusive collection designed to make preparing your meals easy and fun. I want to talk about your new line on HSN, Prep on Kitchen, which is a fantastic name, by the way.
3: Thank
2: you. Tell me this is HSN I work where with QVC which is the same company. Oh, yeah, fantastic. And, um, I love doing it. Doing it for 2 years now and uh, my wife actually runs everything and she um is the person that came up with the first product and I, I just didn't know how much I would love it. As soon as you get on air, because you're almost like a stand up comedian and a salesperson at the same time. I mean, and you have authentic relationship to what you're selling. Because as I understand, you're selling things that brought you back to your time in Milan where you're cooking for yourself and doing all this stuff, not to mention mom, who had her own like issues. <laughs> right. It's gonna be so fantastic to tell those stories and just watch the stuff fly out of there because it's gonna I'm gonna tell oh, you because thank
3: you. I really very appreciate few, that.
2: Every product needs a story. Everyone has a bowl, everyone has a knife, everyone has, everyone has everything. But it has to be a connection and that's really I'm very excited. Tell us a little bit about it and how this sort of I kinda of know now that I know you, I kinda of know how it came about, but tell me what I don't know.
3: I have been sketching the line for years. Like I have little scraps of like different renderings of products and whatever, really all based on things that I would come up against in the kitchen. Like as example, one of my pieces that I'm launching with is this cutting board, the prep board, my prep on kitchen prep board. And I created this arm that attaches this biodegradable compostable bag to it because whenever I'm food prepping, I would always get like bigger and bigger cutting boards because it would get filled with shavings. And I wouldn't want to like interrupt everything to go over to the, the garbage and spill it out and then come back or go put it in my compost or whatever it is. Or if I didn't want to do that, I would just work on like l- smaller and smaller spaces of the cutting board. Like by the end, I'm like chopping carrots on the corner of the board. And I was like, there's got to be a space. better way to do this. So then I started just tucking a bag under the edge of my cutting board and just scraping all the things in there. And I finally was like, there has got to be a better way to hold this bag upright. I don't want it hanging out the counter. I don't want it hanging down near where my legs are because I want to be able to freely move around because, I mean, you can speak to this, like when you're cooking, you get in a flow, you know what I mean? Yeah. And any friends of mine who work in professional kitchens, they're like, you kind of, it's like a dance and you have to get into the rhythm of it and the flow of it. And when I'm cooking, I love getting into the flow and I don't want to break it up by having to like bring this board over to the garbage and whatever. So I create, you know, I create a design, whatever word you want to use this cutting board that holds a bag in place. So you can just push all your food scraps into this bag. You have a clean cutting space. um, You have a clean prep space and you can just get in your rhythm and go. And then afterwards your bag goes into the garbage or if you compost, it goes in your compost
2: you're solving a problem which is what it's all about on when you're selling a product it's like this is the problem the problem is you run out of room and the problem is you don't want to mess everything up and your problem is you don't want to cut yourself i love that
3: thank you similar to that i mean you know i have my my nylon tools which are which i love like i wanted a spoon and a bigger fork and my my turner has like the sides on it like everything is geared towards things that I would run into in the kitchen and that I wanted solutions for. And I pitched this to, you know, HSN and they totally saw my vision and they just, they loved it. So, you know, now here we are, but I had a whole, like, I remember when I first went to find, um, to get my branding agent, his name's Andy Cohen. He's awesome. And he's the one who helped me meet with HSN. Mm-hmm. When I pitched him, I came in with a bag I had a cutting board in it. I had all of my food storage glass containers in it. And I put it on the thing and I did like a whole demo. Like this is my problem in the kitchen. I wanna find a solution for all this stuff. And I'm like, and he got it. And then he ended up taking me on and then we went and got HSN. HSN has been awesome. Like they totally get my vision for it and it's been wonderful.
2: Well, if you if you do HSN, the one place you're going to have to visit is where I live in Tampa, because that's where they're filming it.
3: Yeah, well, you, r- soon, hopefully.
2: Yeah, no, they're going to get back in there. By, I, when are you, what is it, in the fall or in the my,
3: my launch is on May 7th.
2: It's such a fun thing. And I, I see the excitement in your face. So you're going to do great at it because that's who you are. But
3: Thank you. I mean, I've been working on this for years. I'm really, really excited about it.
1: at purdueglobal.edu.
2: For our fourth and final course, my conversation with Laura continues with some of my favorite food questions. Can a home kitchen be prepped like a professional kitchen? What diet can help us perform at our best? Can cocktails ever be healthy? I was watching your um, food videos on YouTube I love your margarita recipe. Most margaritas are too sweet, and I just wanted to mention that to you because most people, it's just a sugar rush.
3: Right, well, thank you. One thing I'm trying to figure out is, some of the best margaritas I've had, they're shaken so hard that you almost get some like little shavings of ice. I can't figure out how to get that. And I, how you get, do you know how to get those shavings in there? Uh,
2: You're probably gonna need a silver plated, heavy duty shaker. You're going to need ice that is very square. And then you're going to need to put more ice than you want. The only problem with that, and shake it for quite a while, the only problem with that is that when you end up shaking it too much, you dilute the drink. What I usually do is shake it with very little ice and pour it over ice so it really stays the same. Jeff Morrow says non-dilution, but it's non-dilution. But you can shake it. You just keep shaking it and you're going to get it. I'm
3: going to do the next one. I appreciate you commenting on... On my margarita, re- I mean, it's a sugar classic beer. recipe. Everyone knows it. But thank you, so I appreciate I the I comment co-op. on that
2: for one reason because everyone who's a, uh, young and hip drinks tequila, and everybody else who's young and hip and on is either on keto or no sugar. So I'm figuring that there was a diet, a dietary um, sort of choice to, to make something that is pseudo healthy because we have alcohol. But it, is it because you? take very good care of your, like, knowing that you've been eating foie gras and caviar since (laughs) As
3: a nine-year-old.
2: Are you now sick of all that luxury food and going back to (laughs)
3: basics? (laughs) It's funny that you bring up the keto thing because I find that when I talk to people who are doing keto and caveman and all this stuff, whatever you want (laughs) to call that diet, for me, what it is, and I don't even do keto or anything. I try to do just moderation. But one of the biggest tools that I took from the keto kind of lifestyle is literally insulin. It's that you don't eat for long periods of time so that your insulin doesn't spike. From my understanding and all the research I've done on the body, which has been quite a bit in certain regards, is that you can't really gain fat without insulin, right? So keto really lowers your insulin insulin levels and for me that's my main thing is I allow myself to drink alcohol if I want to, everything in moderation and I eat carbs, fat, proteins, vegetables, I eat everything. But I really try to keep my insulin in check where I don't snack anymore, specifically because and based on keto and all this other stuff, even if you think about food, your insulin can spike. I mean, there's studies that show that. But for me is like, if you just don't eat for hours between your meals, it's a form of intermittent fasting and you keep your insulin super low. So that is, is pretty much now as a working mom, you know, trying to figure out the easiest way to stay healthy while doing all my food prep, while being able to, you know, have a cocktail if I want. My insulin is really the key for me.
2: No, so what are you cooking now? I'm I'm curious, what's in your larder?
3: What I normally do is I get a bunch of vegetables and proteins and I kind of half prep everything so that it's ready in my Mm -hmm. fridge, so I can easily cook. So I always have like my staple, like workhorse veggies, you know, a lot of cauliflower. There's a ton of zucchini now. I prepare my fridge in a way where it makes it easy to want to use it. I basically do what you might do in your restaurant. Like I literally prep my kitchen, (laughs) like I'm going into a Friday night (laughs) at a restaurant. That
2: is so funny that you, I mean, my gosh, it's no trouble at all. If you, if you take a little time, you know, you, once you get the food home, it's half the work you got to take care of it when it goes in the fridge. Otherwise, you know, those mushrooms you bought in a plastic wrapper, you put them in the back without realizing it, they're going to be stinky in a day. It's a living organism. You know, it's, it, it's, a, there is work involved in cooking.
3: There is. And people need to know that, you know what I mean? But it's so worth it. It's like cooking for my family, my friends. It fills me with, it fills me. Like it, it fills me with such joy. Like I... I love, the kitchen to me is the heartbeat of the home. Everything surrounds food. Like if you think about your family life, how much time is spent like perched at the countertop in the kitchen or around the dining table with your family or you know, whatever it is, there's always food involved. It all kind of ties into my kind of philosophy of how I live, which is I want to be the most efficient in the kitchen so that I can have more time with my family. Right. I mean, my kids are growing so quickly. And especially at the age your kids are at, oh my gosh, like, I see time because I see my kids grow so quick, like my son's about to walk any day. And well, I'm just the problem, like,
2: the problem with crazy. the kids that, that the good problem is like my kids this year, just last year, they wrote a, a cookbook together, and it was best selling cookbook. And what was great about it was, it was a family cookbook. And we wrote it, pre-pandemic, we had no idea what was going to happen, Right. but they, they were yeah, that's you're the family that
3: cooks together, right?
2: Yeah. That's they wrote themselves just by, just by observing. So remember, even if you don't think they're looking, they're watching, they're smelling, they hear, totally. they get it. They get it. And it's, it's just such a gift you give them to let them sort of be around food always, whether you're preparing it, shopping, imagine shopping, preparing, eating, and then cleaning up is part of it also. That's four segments of life that everything happens, every conversation happens in that four four segments.
3: Right. I don't care who you are. right. If you're
2: cooking and you have a family, everything happens in those four. And there might be fights at the table, but at least you're at the table.
3: Right. And I that's right. what I tell
2: people all the time. Three, four meals minimum a week at the table, as difficult as as it is, it's worth everything. And your children will mimic that because they will have that as a good memory. Most of the time, and they'll mimic it with their kids. It's just the way it is. And I think it's beautiful, and it sounds like you're doing a yeoman's job of deconstructing your mother's, <laughs> say, shall I say, thank eccentricities you. into a more healthy. You're channeling them while being an incredible actor, while directing, and while like now going to be an HSN star. I just want to thank you so much. I had a great interview, but I'm I'm also so happy to talk to you, and I can't wait to see you on HSN. I really, really mean that.
3: Thank you. uh, I so appreciate it. And good luck with everything. I know you have so much going on, but I'm a big fan. And I really appreciate you uh, having me on your podcast.
2: Oh, you're very sweet. Have a great day. I don't know what you're having for dinner, but bon appetit.
3: (laughs) Thanks, Jeffrey.
2: (laughs) You as well. Okay, bye. Bye. Thanks very much for listening to Four Courses with Jeffrey Zakarian, a production of iHeartRadio and Corner Table Entertainment. Four Courses is created by Jeffrey Zakarian, Margaret Zakarian, Jarrett Keller, and Tara Halper. Our executive producer is Christopher Hasiotis. Four Courses is produced by Jonathan Hawes Dressler. This episode was edited by Joe Tisdale. Our research is conducted by Jessalyn Shields. This episode was engineered by Molly Swanson and Laura Prepon. Our talent booking is by Pamela Bauer and Dogtown Talent. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio,
0: Sumo Play.
5: information.